When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we weren't sure that we were going to watch Francis Ngannou versus Tyson Fury live. We both had other commitments on Saturday. Uh, I know you were going to a Halloween party. I ended up going to a birthday party. So the week of the fight, we didn't know that we were going to be able to sit down and watch it. And then when we finally connected that this fight was in Saudi Arabia and would therefore be on in the middle of the afternoon here in Montana in the one true time zone, we finally sort of decided to say, fuck it at the last minute, mind you. And you ended up getting the pay-per-view at your house I came over. It was it was a splendid time. You made some delightful snacks. We drank a couple few soda pops and we watched the ensuing action in the ring. And I think I speak for both of us when I when I say I am glad that we sat down to watch this one live. And frankly, we would have looked like fucking idiots if we would have missed this. Fools. We would have looked like damn fools. Absolute morons. If we would have sat this one out. I will say. I guess I'm glad that I did not have all the information right off the bat because when I started to make the decision that I was going to go ahead and get this one, it was, uh, frankly, when we were all hanging around at a local watering hole after my hockey team won the fall league championship. God, how did did I know you were going to work that in somehow? I looked up at one point and saw the little scroll on the bottom of ESPN and the TV at the sports bar. And then it was like 2 PM Eastern on Saturday. And I was like, wait a minute, 2 PM Eastern. Why that's noon here in the one true time zone. That's a perfect time to sit here, order a pay-per-view, watch a boxing match. Come to find out we are going to dick around for us. Basically five (laughs) hours first before. I mean, you, you gotta sit through, an entire halftime show worth of live musical dance entertainment before you even see a boxing ring appear on the screen yeah. uh, for this main event. So 
I'm glad that I didn't know that was going to happen because it might have messed with my decision to go ahead and buy it. I, though, I did not regret or question our decision to not do a live watch party until the moment when Francis Ngannou clipped Tyson Fury with that left hook, sent him tumbling to the floor, and Chad, you let out what I can only describe as a mirthful cackle, (laughs) a cackle of pure delight the moment Tyson Fury's butt hit the canvas, and I wish people could have heard that. Yeah, if only we had saved that for for posterity. How could you not react that way to what unfolded in the ring in Saudi Arabia on Saturday night? Now, I just want to point out in passing that you have once again engaged in some revisionist history because it was actually me that told you while we were at the bar in the wake of your mighty hockey victory to win the city championship in the novice league of co-rec uh, city hockey. I said, I looked at the screen and I said, is Ngannou versus Fury on in the middle of the afternoon? And then that is when it dawned on us that it, we could make this a reality. And once again, I'm glad we did, but let's just, in our defense, no one could have forecasted this given all no. of the information that we had headed into the fight, given the, the odds, given Francis Ngannou's status as a debutante, as a neophyte, as a beginner, Coming into the boxing ring, given what we had seen in the past about MMA fighters entering into the boxing ring, we never could have foreseen this outcome. But I'm just glad that we were there to witness it, frankly. And you know what? I honestly don't know when the last time that I watched a pay-per-view was when I came out of it thinking, my God, I am so glad that I watched this live live because this was historic. This was a historic event in the history of combat sports. So once again, glad we didn't end up looking like fucking morons. Can you imagine if somebody was just trying to describe this one to you? <laughs> just trying to sit you down and just, just trying to take you through the experience. But because it wouldn't work. It just flat out would not work. Can you imagine if you were standing somewhere doing something else, thumbing through your Twitter timeline, and all of a sudden you saw a tweet with a video of Francis Ngannou knocking down Tyson Fury. You'd think it was a deep fake. You'd be like, These, this is that deep fake bullshit I've been hearing about. There's no way this is real. Yeah, you would. Anyway, it's probably obvious, but we will spend the full hour of this week's Coming Event podcast talking about this subject, because frankly, I don't know that we have ever seen anything like it, maybe in the in the history of professional sports. So we will get into talking about Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou. In every aspect that we have time for, we're going to mix in some listener mail as we go. Uh, First, though, we got to remind you that this week's episode is brought to you once again by Fulton and Rourke, purveyors of the finest personal grooming products on the market. This week, they got some big news. After 10 years of making solid fragrances, Fulton and Rourke has finally added spray fragrances to their repertoire. Before we get into that, Some of you out there who don't have experience with Fulton Rourke might be sitting there wondering right now, what the hell is a solid fragrance? Ben, can you explain that to him? I sure can, Chad. See, Fulton and Rourke practically invented the stuff. Kevin, one of the founders and also a longtime listener of this show, was a fragrance fan, but he didn't like putting the glass spray bottle in his gym bag. 
He also didn't like it when a bottle broke in his luggage while he was traveling one time, so he and his business partner, Alan, created a line of wax-based colognes that you can swipe on instead of spray, and because they come in solid metal cases, there's nothing to spill or shatter. I actually have a bunch of Fulton and Rourke solid fragrances in my bathroom right now, and I can say from personal experience that they are great. I personally put some of that on when I think I'm going to need some, shall we say, added protection. So, uh... Fulton and Rourke keeps making more cool fragrance items. They have bar soaps and deodorants, which I also use. The company just keeps growing. They've been featured in GQ, Esquire, Men's Health, even the Wall Street Journal. But all the while, their customers were asking them to make spray fragrances too. Because even though solids are great for travel, sprays offer a different kind of experience. So they're finally here. And like all Fulton and Rourke products, they come with a 30-day no-risk return guarantee. And for the CME listeners out there, you can get a free solid fragrance with the purchase of any extrate. Just use the promo code Dundasso over at FultonandRourke.com. Again, that's Dundasso, D-U-N-D-A-S-S-O at FultonandRourke.com. Extrate, Ben. That's a, I think that's a fancy word for uh, concentrated cologne or perfume. Extrate. Take your word for it. Yeah. All right. Let's get into this here talking about Francis Ngannou's performance on Saturday night against Tyson Fury. The first thing that I wanted to talk about, as I mentioned a minute ago, one of the things that I've been struggling with in the wake of this fight is how to put Francis Ngannou's performance into historical perspective, because I don't know if we have ever seen anything quite like this before. And people keep talking about it in terms of combat sports. People keep saying, have we ever seen anything like this in combat sports? And I saw on Morning Combat this morning, Brian Campbell sort of uh, compared it to Brock Lesnar, which I actually think is is a pretty close analogy because Brock Lesnar stormed onto the scene in MMA without much experience, had a fight or two, and then came to the UFC, had another fight or two, and then won the heavyweight championship. I don't know if it is an exact analogy, but I also don't know that there is any exact analogy for what we saw on Saturday night. And I think one of the things about people trying to figure out if it's one of the greatest performances we've ever seen in combat sports is that you almost sell it short because I don't know if we've ever seen anything like this in the history of all professional sports because you barely ever get the opportunity to have someone come in their first day on the job in this additional sport that they've taken on, compete against the best in the world, and damn near win. It's kind of like a unicorn here in the landscape of sports. And the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head that even sort of applies here is maybe the miracle on ice. Like, that, I think that's kind of close. But again, even then, you had a bunch of guys who'd spent their lives playing hockey. And so right. you, then you get into this. I wanted to sprinkle in this email from Dan O, who said, Big Fran, Fran the man, El Franarino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Can we just spend the whole episode talking about this guy who walked away from being the heavyweight champion in MMA straight into being the, into being the boxing heavyweight champ by Stockton rules? Fuck the Marcus of Queensberry. Uh, Mar- Marcus of Queensberry catching strays in this question. Yeah, and, and so, Dan, we are going to spend the whole episode talking about that. But Ben Folks, can you put this into historical perspective in any way? You're right that it's tough just because in the broader sports world, you don't ever see this shit happen. It's not like one of the best cricket teams is going to come over and, you know, 
play in the World Series and take it to seven games. Right. And, you know, it, the combat sports offers you so much more opportunity for crossover because we're all learning some of the same skills. It's just that they are applied differently. And in some sports, you have to learn those skills along with a whole bunch of others. It is, though, sort of instructive to look at how this has gone in the past. When normally when we've seen it, for one thing, we don't necessarily see boxing's best in any one weight class. Normally, it's this fighter going to go over and fight a boxer. You know, sometimes a guy who is more an influencer than a boxer. In Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather's case, a guy who you know, was a pound-for-pound great and is sort of now on the backside of just running around making a bunch of money off exhibition stage of his career. And even then, you know, that one was hyped just beyond all human comprehension. Walking around in suits that say fuck you on them, throwing money in the air at the press conferences. uh, Just making a sport out of the promotion of the fight itself. And then you go in there and it's not really that competitive. Floyd Mayweather eventually ends it. Seems like he could have ended it much earlier if he'd wanted to. You kind of walk away being like... The world is not a place of magic and wonder. The world is solid all the way through, as we feared it was. And I maybe we just sort of got used to that. And it definitely, some of that stuff informed how we thought this was going to go. Yeah. And let's be honest, our expectations for how we thought this is going to go definitely affected how incredibly psyched we're willing to get over Francis Agano losing a split decision. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Let's say that. Yeah. It's incredible. Uh, we got, we also got this question from, uh, meets Hotman. meets Hotman. See, now I don't know if this is a fake name. A lot of people write in to the CME under fake names, but when you send me an email from the name meets Hotman, I have to say it out loud a few times mm-hmm. to make sure that it's not like an Amanda hug and kiss situation. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm still not convinced that it's yeah, not. No, Meets Hotman writes, is it time to start asking questions about how talented Francis Ngannou really is? His combat sports career started relatively late in life, and he just boxed a heavyweight great to a standstill. Compare and contrast with GSP deciding to be a grappler or Brock Lesnar and his inability to pick up striking. Uh, I mean, this is kind of a good point. We have seen highs and lows from Francis Ngannou in MMA, but we have also seen him over the course of that short career uh, kind of closed some of those holes in his game that were originally exploited uh, to, to hand him a couple of losses there. And he's come, he came in in his final fight in the UFC on what we are led to believe is basically one leg with a blown out knee. He fights Cyril gone. He's, he ends up coming from behind to use his wrestling of all things to win that fight. I mean, I think we have to look at him now as an incredible athlete and a very good technician who who is uh, really, really bright and really smart. I remember when I uh, asked Fernand Lopez in 2017, what do you think Francis Ngannou's best attribute as a fighter is? He told me without hesitation, he said how smart he is. And I thought that was kind of incredible considering all of the other physical attributes that Francis Ngannou <laughs> yeah. has for you to immediately be like, oh, it's because he's he's such a smart fighter. And so, I mean, I think we've seen that throughout his career with how he's been able to bounce back and overcome previous adversity. And I also think we saw it on Saturday night with his ability to go out there 
and fight a relatively smart fight against Tyson Fury and, and put Tyson Fury in situations where he was uncomfortable, where he couldn't really get off with his own offense and eventually, you know, force the heavyweight champion of boxing into a situation where he barely slipped by with a questionable split decision. Yeah. I think one of the things that informed our expectations is that as much as we enjoyed seeing Francis Ngannou knock the soul out of people in MMA, we also did not necessarily regard him as even one of the better technical boxers in the UFC or even in the UFC's heavyweight division. You'd say Francis Ngannou is a guy who doesn't need to throw a technically perfect punch in order to hit you. Not even a guy who needs to hit you cleanly. We saw him throw just glancing blows at people that wobbled them and and, and at times put them away. So he had that going for him, but we didn't look at him and be like, clearly this is the guy most poised to do well as a heavyweight boxer of everybody in the UFC. And to see him then show up and technically look a lot better, I think, than what we were expecting out of him, that was a pleasant surprise. And also to be able to see him look so comfortable Mm -hmm. over the course of a 10-round fight because I started to get a little worried when, you know, we get through the first few rounds and he's still standing. I'm I'm like, all right, this is already whatever else happens from here. I'm already happy for Big Fran. And he started to get – his body posture started to look a little – tired yeah his it seemed like he was struggling a little bit to keep his hands up he he had his mouth open at a few points there and it there were a couple times when he would throw a punch and you're like okay that just seems like a sort of a labored arm punch and so i started to get a little bit worried about whether the last half of this fight was going to be pretty ugly for him but it wasn't i mean he looked like he belonged in there you would have never guessed that this was this guy's first professional boxing match that's crazy to think about you know And it's not like he had an absolute ton of MMA fights either. So it's just like to be able to go in there and take it to Tyson Fury that way. uh, And, you know, we mentioned Stockton rules, but yeah, I don't know if you saw their faces. Oh, I did. I did. Yeah. Who is the professor now? I think is the question that has been asked. Uh, Okay. Before we start talking about the fight itself, some of the things we saw just in the ring on Saturday, we got to talk about the scene. In Saudi Arabia, (laughs) with, as you mentioned at the top of the show, the opening ceremony that they called it, the broadcast in general, the kind of over-the-top production values that you got in this brand new arena that they built in Saudi Arabia. And, you know, clearly with with the look down the road at having more fights here, I know that Fury and Alexander Yusik is supposed to be there in December if that actually goes down as scheduled. But this was... It was a, just a very weird scene, man. I don't know that we have seen, again, I don't know that we have seen anything exactly like it before in combat sports because from the crowd that was assembled to the stage to the, the uh, production values, as I said, to the live performances, to the tenor just of the pay-per-view broadcast it's, itself, which was part boxing broadcast, part infomercial for Saudi Arabia, basically. It was just very strange. I don't know. I mean... I feel like I came away with a lot of positive views about Saudi Arabia. You feel it like, just seemed like it might be seemed a, great, like a place, great place, great place to go yeah. on vacation, perhaps. I just it seems like over and over again, a bunch of famous people who I recognize were telling me how much they liked Saudi Arabia. Didn't didn't hear a single criticism, honestly. 
Nobody was even like, I'm enjoying Saudi Arabia, but <laughs> like it, nothing at all. It just seemed like all the people who uh, were very conspicuous there in the crowd with cameras in their faces and, you know, we've been told jetting in in the last 48 hours before the fight seemed like they all had a lot of good stuff to say about Saudi Arabia. Yeah, nary a criticism to be found on yeah. Saturday about Saudi Arabia. I don't even know if there's a criticism to make, frankly, because I have no other background on Saudi Arabia except for what I saw on television yeah. on Saturday. So as far as I'm all concerned... All the news is good. All... <laughs> I, I do... It seems like sometimes people will get it in their heads. We're putting together this big-time production, this live event production technologically we can do these things like have like a giant sort of cube or whatever that people are performing in and therefore we must do those things and i just i don't know if they read the room entirely correctly on this one to be like you know what all these fight fans want this the the crowd that has come here for fury and ganu a, a mix, it seems, of like Saudi royalty and famous people paid to come in and see it. Uh, and what I can only assume are a series of minor to major criminal figures, scumbags and hangers on, that what they want is like a 20 minute goddamn concert first. Yeah. In the middle of the boxing Backup card. Like, dancers. They did a bunch of fights before that. Right. Like, yeah, I came to your house a little bit late. I was trying to time it so I would get there just in time for the main event. I still ended up watching like an hour of filler before they yeah. even started the fight. But yeah, like they did a full card of boxing and then the quote unquote opening ceremony between the rest of it and Fury versus Ngannou, which is kind of I guess I understand it, but it's also very weird timing for your opening ceremony. I'll say this. We give the UFC a lot of shit over here on this here podcast just because they are the product we are most familiar with as MMA fans and as as people who have worked in MMA media feels like we've just been through a lot with the UFC personally over the years and there's a lot to criticize frankly however something like this does give you an appreciation for how the UFC might get a little cookie cutter sometimes, might be afraid to do anything fun or creative, might just want to roll out the same exact live event product that it does every single week. But there is a value to that in that you have a good sense. You can sit down, look at what time the broadcast is scheduled to start, and have a pretty good sense of what time the first fight is going to be on, around what time the second fight is going to be on, around what time you're going to get out of there, give or take the, the length of the fights. You know kind of what you're getting. And while we complain about the filler on some of those fight night cars, throwing it back to the desk, putting in the commercials, all that kind of stuff, you do, you have a sense that they at least somewhat respect your time. <laughs> Whereas the boxing people, depending on who's putting on the show, you just never know what you're going to get, including a couple different announcements in the arena that were ready to start the show. Could you guys clear the aisles, please? And you're just like, what the hell is... Can you imagine? Dana, the top of Dana White's bald-ass skull would hop up in the air and <laughs> spin around like a cartoon while an atom bomb went off underneath uh, if something like that happened at a UFC event. Yeah, it's like I said when we were watching it, uh, Vince McMahon 
with his fucking matinee villain mustache and the undertaker were both there to watch this thing in Saudi Arabia. And I was like, can you imagine how mad Vince McMahon is right now when the Saudis couldn't get their audio to work at the beginning of the opening ceremonies? I bet he was so, because he does that shit every week, basically like pack it up and take it to Louisville and we'll do it again on Monday. Usually comes off without a hitch, but I mean, that just goes to show you, you can have all of the money in the world. And you still can't get your fucking speakers to work without going back there <laughs> you, and jiggling the cables, jiggling the cables or whatever to as, get them to come as on. As we were watching it, you were like, doesn't matter if it's a DIY punk show in a basement somewhere uh, or if you got millions of dollars to spend on it in Saudi Arabia. The audio shit is just never going to work exactly as you think it yeah, will. Never on, never on the first take. That's for sure. Uh, I, like I said this also. Maybe I'm just old. But all these production values where the people are dancing on top of a flat screen with some black bubbles under it. it looks like they're dancing on the the ocean or something. I don't like it. I just think it's it just seems like too much, man. I just think that like whatever happened to having some people come out on a normal last stage and sing their songs and then get the fuck off so we can do the boxing match. Or I mean, we don't have to sing the songs at all. Like, <laughs> I mean, true. we could yeah. just we could just do that boxing. I think know? that the entire history of live music performance performances at fight events has told us don't do it. What's the best one? Well, it was when Sinead O'Connor sang the thing for uh, Conor McGregor while he walked out. But other than that, it's either that or it's Megadeth playing <laughs> at the first affliction show. <laughs> Somehow that one slipped my mind. I don't know. I don't out know there how. doing Symphony of Destruction while Josh Barnett and Fedor and everybody else walking around standing there. In all in the the cornucopia of affliction offerings at the time. Now that that was some two thousand nine ass shit for you right there. Indeed. All right, let's talk about the actual fight itself and the things that we saw out there because Jesus fucking Christ. I don't think any of us expected it to go quite like this. And the creeping feeling of, hey, this isn't going so bad was kind of yeah. interesting to see because they come out in the first few rounds and you're like, wow, Francis made it. He made it out of the first. He made it out of the second. He's actually, he's not looking too bad out there. And then in the third, he knocks him down. He knocks Tyson Fury down with like an, a kind of a glancing, it looked like overhand left that landed right on the man's temple, put him down. The broadcasters are going crazy. The people in the arena are going crazy. The look on Tyson Fury's face is fucking priceless. Francis Ngannou adds the little shimmy shake. dance as he stands over him and now i mean that's when it got real that's when you were like holy fucking shit what are we witnessing here and then from then on you know we continued to kind of white knuckle it a little bit until we got to the decision but like wow this was this was maybe a unique viewing experience for me yeah uh, i mean especially because we had told ourselves beforehand francis and ganu got the chance to land one big shot yeah can he get close enough? Can he get an opening? Can he land that one big shot? And so then to see him actually in a boxing match and and to be in it, to be competitive in this boxing match in which his defense looks pretty solid for the most part. He's actually sort of letting setting up and landing some shots there. He's not just looking for one big swing that could take Tyson Fury's head off. Like He actually is looking like he knows how to fucking box. And is comfortable doing it against somebody like Tyson Fury. That was some shit we just could not possibly have been prepared for. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't like 
that knockdown was like the puncher's chance, right? I wasn't like, right. He didn't land that as sort of a flash or fluke or one punch Hail Mary in a fight where Tyson Fury was otherwise dominating. Like Ngannou was holding his own for the entire fight and even getting the better of Tyson Fury for what I think you could argue was more minutes during the fight than, than, than not. And Frank, I like, I thought his most impressive, his most impressive moments might have actually been in the eighth round, and that was the one where he just bludgeoned him with an with a extended flurry of punches. Didn't end up putting Tyson Fury down, but that was the longest exchange where you were like, "Oh man, like he's got him in trouble here. He's he's just kind of cracking him at will." And so that was was very eye opening for me. And I agree with you that perhaps the biggest stunner here was seeing Francis Ngannou come out. I don't know if you want to say as a polished boxer. But as a boxer who definitely had some things he was going to do in this fight and for the most part managed to do them for an extended period over the course of 10 rounds. Imagine somebody comes to you and is just like, there will be a moment after you buy this Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou pay-per-view where you will be sitting there anxiously awaiting the reading of the final scorecard. (laughs) To see which way the decision's going to go. Yeah. You'd just be like, there's no way. Yeah. There's just no way. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's like, I looked at you, we were headed to the 10th, and I was like, we are going to the last round of this fight. Can you believe it? That we have made it through nine complete. We are taking it to the 10th. And then I guess, I guess we should talk about the decision and whether or not it was the right one, because there has been some some back and forth considerable back and forth online about this since the fight happened. Uh, No surprise, many of the MMA people think that he probably should have got the nod. Maybe some of the boxing people think that Tyson Fury was the rightful winner. And I don't know, man, it was a close fight. You know, I think that Francis Ngannou throughout the fight probably landed the the better punches. I think that both guys had their moments. Tyson Fury definitely got going with his timing and peppered him with some shots and landed some hard punches the here and there in the fight. But honestly, I, I felt like Ngannou, I think kind of obviously had the bigger moments. I think he, he landed the better, the better punches and he uh, knocked him down obviously. And I think it kind of had the, the most of the momentum through a lot of the fight. And as soon as we went to the cards, I was like, Oh, there's no way he's going to win especially when they announced it as a split decision. I was like, oh man, they are definitely giving this one to Tyson Fury. I mean, I understand that uh, according to just like the boxing scoring criteria right. and the way boxing is supposed to work, sure, Tyson Fury went out there and probably won that fight. But according to the vibes, Chad? Yeah. According to, you know, we it's like you go out there and you're bowling in, in a bowling league, well, shit, yeah, man, the guy who has his own shoes and everything and spinning the ball all crazy. <laughs> He's got like, one of those wrist guards that you wear. Yeah, we can't, like, weight his score the same as, like, somebody's girlfriend who's just here to spend some quality time, you know? Uh, she goes out there and bowls, like, a 137. That's pretty fucking good. Yeah. This is that's kind of what Francis Ngannou did out here. He showed up. There ought to be an allowance, like a point sort of adjustment. Remember how like pride a handicap? Used to do? We're gonna do a handicap. Yeah, pride scoring. They would say that they would make some sort of adjustments to the scoring if there was a difference of like more than you know fifteen kilos or whatever in weight. I remember it supposedly coming into play when Mark Hunt fought Vanderlei Silva in one of those where they were like. 
if you agree to like a such a mismatch, that will give you a little bit of an edge. This should be the same kind of thing if you're fighting an undefeated boxing champion and it is your first <laughs> professional boxing match. Yeah, they're like, we'll spot you five rounds and then, yeah. then we'll fight 10 from there and we'll see what's up. Because according to that, according to like the expectations versus reality sort of adjusted scoring criteria, Francis Ngannou wins this. Yeah. No question. I can't remember. Somebody had the, what I thought was the best tweet. It might have been Lennox Lewis, but somebody tweeted something to the extent or to the effect of uh, Francis Ngannou won the night. Tyson Fury won the fight, which is I thought was was kind of fitting for how this thing went. And I agree, man, if you're just out there counting up total punches like we're a bunch of amateurs and this is the damn Olympics, like maybe you give it to Fury. But I thought Ngannou had the bigger, better moments for sure. And obviously, I think if you score this fight according to the MMA criteria. He absolutely would have won. We were just out there, you know, doing it in the boxing ring. Uh, You brought this up. So I'm going to ask the question of whether or not the vibes was off for Tyson Fury. We got this question from Brandon Boyd, who wrote, In your opinion, do you think Ngannou performed so well due to Fury possibly taking Francis's power and skill for granted? Or is Francis better than we all expected? In your professional opinion, what's the ceiling for Ngannou? Also, where does his story rank in the realm of two-sport crossovers better than Jordan playing baseball? Is he the Bo Jackson of combat sports? Uh, You know, Bo Jackson's not a bad comparison, frankly. Uh, Although, you know, Bo Jackson did it for a slightly more extended period of time than we have yet seen Francis Ngannou do it. But... We talked about the vibes leading up to this fight. Tyson Fury kind of talked about the vibes leading up to this fight, saying that he was not in charge of or in favor the announcement of his December fight against Alexander Usyk before the Francis Ngannou fight happened. Because in his own words, I believe he said this to Ariel Helwani, quote, that's how people get knocked out. And so we had this kind of looming expectation that Fury was going to have this fight a real fight, I may think, was the was the overtones for this thing against Usyk coming up in in a couple of months, and so he was he was obviously planning to kind of roll through this Engano fight and be and be totally fine, and you know that caused some people to look askance at this thing because in MMA we know what happens when you anger the combat sports gods. So I guess it 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 can be a mixture of both things, but I guess to Brandon Boyd's point, do you think that? Ngannou outperformed our expectations because he's just that good? Or do you think some of it had to do with with Tyson Fury maybe taking him a little lightly? You know, I saw Tyson Fury mention that he felt like he was a little rusty just because he hasn't fought in, uh, I don't know, around a year or so, maybe a little over a year, and that he felt like he couldn't quite get his timing off. It did seem like there was some stuff that he normally likes to do that we've seen from him that he wasn't really able to do or didn't really make a, a committed effort to try to do against Francis Ngannou. So I could I could believe that both he's a little rusty. Also, he thought this would be a little easier than it was. And so maybe to find himself there in like round eight, having been knocked down and the only knockdown in the fight is a little bit surprising to him. Um he he didn't look as sharp or quite as dangerous as we've seen him look in the past. But then again, I mean, Francis looked pretty good, and Francis took a few shots, yeah, uh, which were hard shots, but he was still there through. So uh, I think that it could be a little both that Francis was better. Francis, uh, Tyson Fury was maybe not as good as he has been. Um, 
those could all have combined to make one magical night. However, if I'm Tyson Fury, one thing that I am hoping does not happen is that Francis Ngannou goes and fights some other boxer next yeah. and gets fucking worked. <laughs> because right now, people are basking in the glow of this unexpectedly strong performance from Francis Ngannou. But there is going to be a part of us that wants to see what happens next to find out, does this guy just have an ability to pick up all combat sports really quickly and he can be good at any of them once he commits to it? Or was it just a great night and maybe Tyson Fury is losing a step? Yeah. And Francis Ngannou was just the first guy to get there in time to find out. I don't. I mean, I did feel bad for the big homie Alexander Usyk yeah. sitting there ringside making a series of faces that were increasingly <laughs> concerned because he's like, man, I got next on this shit and you guys are having a do it again, brother kind of night right out here. Uh, I, I don't know that I had ever seen Alexander Usyk for an extended period of time before this, but he exudes silly little guy energy. He does just out there yeah. pulling faces even before the fight starts. But I agree with you starting to look a little bit more and more concerned as this thing went on. I know that they still had him up in the ring to do a, a face off with Tyson Fury after this thing was over, but like kind of lost a lot of steam, lost a lot of steam on that face off considering how things went against uh, Francis Ngannou here. But uh, I know that now Fury's camp is out here saying maybe he's going to need a little bit more time, a little bit more time before December. He's got that big ass shiner. Maybe yeah. maybe the confidence isn't what it once was for the for the Gypsy King, but Alexander Usyk, perhaps more SLG guy energy, saying, "Nuh-uh, motherfuckers, we have a contract. <laughs> we have a contract that says December, and I expect you to. I expect to see you right back here in the Saudi Arabian arena where the fucking ring comes out of the floor, and we got Bad Bunny or whoever coming out to do a dance before it. I'll see you then." Two months, two months time. It's not a lot of time. I imagine John Fury has been committed to a mental insane asylum, right? In the wake of this. <laughs> yeah, he's he's been chained to a wall since Sunday morning. Uh, we were talking about what is John Fury's experience in Saudi Arabia like? Because I would I feel certain after everything we saw from this guy throughout fight week, there's got to be somebody in the entourage whose only job is to distract and at times straight up trick John Fury into going back to the room so they can lock him inside. Yeah. You can't let that guy just roam around the streets, can you? No, 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 you can't. He's got to have 10, 15 handlers whose only job is to make sure that John Fury doesn't get in trouble. He'll just, you, you let him walk out of there after a fight like that, he'll be head-button places of business all up and down the street. Padded Can't cell. That. He's in a padded yeah. cell right now <laughs> after watching that happen to to his son. Uh, we, we brought this up, so I'm just going to, we might as well talk about this. And the, What is Francis Ngannou's future now? Should he be a full-time boxer? Should he honor his commitment to the PFL contractually? Does he have to do that? We got two emails about this one. Uh, from our guy Backpack Boom Bap on Patreon. He said, after Francis's performance on Saturday, does he ever go back to the small bucks of MMA? I'd love to know what the fight, fight purse was, but I'm assuming it was more than the total he's earned through MMA. Also, as a follow-up, who plays him in the film of his amazing life story? Now, as an aside, I will just say, they mentioned on the broadcast, so take that for what it's worth, that Francis Ngannou was guaranteed $10 million 
for this fight before he got in the ring. So who knows? And then we got this one from Tracy Dickinson on Patreon who wrote, I've been a big fan of Francis ever since the story Chad did about him in 2017. Thanks, Tracy. And I've wanted somebody to make a movie about everything he's gone through in his life for years. I can't see how this doesn't come to fruition at some point now when his movie does eventually come out. What happened? What will what happened on Saturday be the climax? Or is there potentially something even bigger coming for this in coming for his incredible story that we still need to wait for and so i guess ben i will pose the question to you should francis ngano just continue to be a boxer and maybe put mma on the shelf at least for the foreseeable future well first of all i think idris elba plays him in the movie i think that's a given okay you know okay it's not a bad Um, choice gonna have to get gonna have to get on that stuff though a little bit gonna have to widen out a little bit he's gonna have to be doing ben over rose lat pull downs we saw him as Stringer Bell. He got he got a little bit of heft to him. I mean, that, you know? that was we'll, like damn near twenty years ago. Now we'll get on. We'll get some of those good vitamins that I've heard about, and uh, get him one of those trainers. He'll do one of those things where it's like you're holding the dumbbells and you're, but you're using them to walk across the floor. Boom. Yeah. Then it's it's done deal at that point. Um, the the question of what to do with his future is super interesting because it seems like right now. You could turn around and sell a Francis Ngannou boxing match against an array of people, and suddenly it becomes a lot more interesting and and just a lot more compelling than it was before, where it was like, Tyson Fury, okay, there's no chance you're going to beat Tyson Fury, but we're happy to see you get the money, and maybe we'll show up and support you, but we're not expecting much. Then you go out there and you do really well, and we're going like, hold on, can this motherfucker box? And we want to find out. If you turn around and you booked a fight against Deontay Wilder next, we'd be like, okay, tell us when. Yeah. Send us location. Well, I'd say, we gotta, if they booked a rematch with Fury, it. right? If they booked a, yeah. booked a rematch with Fury, we would watch that. Although, look, man, I'm I'm about done doubting this guy. I just feel like we have all learned a few times now. Maybe that's not in our best interest. Maybe we should just uh, uh, believe here in Francis Ngannou. That said... Isn't it a little bit fanciful to think he can extend this boxing run through multiple fights against the best boxers in the world? I mean, it would be incredible. Then again, it, I would have told you it was incredible for him to be standing there waiting the results of a split decision against Tyson Fury. Yeah. You know? Uh, so, who knows? Uh, I think right now you could sell us one more very easily and then... Depending on how that goes, uh, you might want to reevaluate. If I were him, though, I'd be like, I'm going to cash in on this moment, this magical moment, with at least one more boxing fight. MMA, I can get back to that in a little while. Anytime, right? Yeah, I mean, if you can get another boxing match in the next six months, get something on the books, fine. And then after that, you can tell PFL, like, Hey, don't worry. I'll come back and I'll fight for you. Because what is PFL really going to do about it? Like, I don't know what the contract says about when he needs to get in there and fight for PFL. But they don't have the kind of goodwill with MMA fans that they could squander by being like, we are going to take Francis Ngannou to court for injunctive relief to get him <laughs> to force him to fight for us before he does another boxing match. Like, even if you could exercise those rights, you shouldn't. And I would think that they know that, that... Francis Ngannou's stardom is only going to help you when he does eventually come back around and fight for you. And I think that 
He probably will. But I also think that if you were advising Francis Ngannou, you would have to tell him we need to strike while the boxing iron is hot because there's a lot more money for him to be made right there. Yeah, especially if you can get a second fight done relatively quickly, like, you know, February or spring of next year or something like that. I think you got to jump on that if you are Francis Ngannou. And I think you're right about PFL. You don't want to respond to this fairy tale feel good story by being here is a letter of cease and desist right that's our that's our role in this is that we are going to be the bad guys i think you gotta be supporting this i've seen them retweet a bunch of stuff about the fight which i think is the right move for them and you gotta as long as he's gonna come back at some point to have that fight for you you gotta sort of be be licking your chops a little bit at this point can you imagine if john jones had not re-upped if John Jones had had, I guess, the foresight, obviously you couldn't have foreseen this, but it seemed, and again, I don't know that I'm totally clear on the timeline, but if memory serves, it sure seemed like Francis pieced out of the UFC and, and the UFC immediately turned around and inked John Jones to a large long-term deal, I assume for what was a lot of money. But can you imagine if John Jones had had an inkling of what could be done and was kind of like, no. I'm I'm going to wait out my contract also. And then he and Francis Ngannou could be masters of their own ship right now. They could put on what would undoubtedly be the biggest MMA pay-per-view ever and keep most of the money themselves. That would be incredible. Who would they get to do the song and dance show beforehand, though? I mean, for that, you could get anybody, right? You want to think about these things. Who's going to make sure the aisles are clear? <laughs> get, get me I, the I didn't best ushers. I realize these were such important things, but yeah, we need the best ushers. Give us your crack usher team. The best. Give Abby. us the fucking the Navy SEALs of ushers. Shout out, by the way, to Eric Nixick and yeah. Dewey Cooper over there at Extreme Couture, who took, frankly, a lot of heat in the lead up to this thing, both from Tyson Fury's camp and I think from some boxing people calling them his so-called boxing trainers and all this stuff. And then he goes out there with a game plan that he mostly followed and skills far exceeding the ones that we thought he would have and took perhaps the best heavyweight boxer of his generation to the absolute brink. I don't know how you don't marvel at the coaching job here done by these, these two guys who primarily are MMA coaches. Yeah. I mean, you do have to give credit to Francis Gano for clearly being a very quick study in all these sports, but yeah, he, he has picked the right team around him and has a great group of people around him, helping him out. You also, I mean, while we're, we're handing out credit where it's due, let's maybe talk a little bit about all the people who are pretty sure this was the stupidest fucking thing Francis Ngannou could ever do was to walk away from the UFC to ruin his legacy, Chad, by walking away from the UFC to to chase after a fight he was never going to get. And that anyway, even if he did get it, he would get absolutely demolished in and it would wreck his drawing power and ability indefinitely going forward. Because I feel like we haven't heard too much from those people since Saturday afternoon. I feel like it's been real quiet from certain corners of the internet ever since. You know what I'm saying? 
yeah, not a lot of people <laughs> following that up. I have to get a shout, give a shout out to Mr. Lister on Twitter, Mr. Lister L two two five five two five three one, because okay. <laughs> I had tweeted October twenty eighth. It's very important to remember, no matter what happens in the ring today or what the goofs, goons, and ghouls might tell you on this website, Francis Ngannou has already won the game. To which he replied, he won money, but lost his legacy. And then Hmm. after the fight, this guy comes back and replies again to say, correction, he won money and added to his legacy. And I was like, this is the only time... In my entire history of Twitter use, that a reply guy has come back days later after the fight to be like, I was wrong. Yeah. Shout out that guy. The exact opposite thing happened. Mr. Lister. I respect him for it. I respect him for coming back and, and admitting that he was wrong, which you don't get over there all that often. Uh, I want to give a shout out to you, Chad, for sending me a screenshot of what was going on over on Dana White's Twitter. Yeah. Cause still, you know, I'm that's blocked. still his last tweet. That's the, that's the last tweet he has sent. Even right before we started recording this, I just, uh, mm-hmm. I checked it just to make sure. Again, Dana White less than a year ago sat up there and said that Francis Ngannou was leaving the UFC because he didn't want to take the risks anymore. And he thought that there was. Uh, money to be made against lesser competition outside of the UFC. That that was like January of last year, or this year. And then Francis Ngannou goes in there, gets a guaranteed 10 mil to fight the undefeated Tyson Fury, like you said, arguably the best heavyweight talents of this generation, and goes toe-to-toe with him for 10 rounds, nearly wins the decision, and just crickets over there on Dana White's Twitter. The last tweet, there's one uh, telling people to enter for a chance to win a VIP trip to UFC 295. And then there's one of him saying, a fan won a power slap league sweepstakes to gamble with me and Steve will do, at Steve will do it. I don't know who that is. Uh, and killed it. And it's this video of this guy gambling with him. I just want to say this, Chad. If I won a power slap league sweepstakes and then went and gambled with Dana White as the winner of the sweepstakes. And even if I made, if I made a million dollars gambling with Dana White after assumedly entering and winning a power slap league sweepstakes after that, if people ask me how I got all this money, I would lie. I would say I made this money giving massages to sailors down at the docks. I'd say, I made this money letting rich kids kick me in the nuts at their sweet 16 birthday parties. Anything but say, I entered a power slap league sweepstakes and won. (laughs) We got this question from Christian Rader who wrote, what are the odds that when Dana finally reacts to the Fury versus Ngannou fight, he goes with, quote, Fury is a bum and washed up, and also that, quote, he fought Ngannou because he was scared of Jones. Do you guys think any other UFC <laughs> fighters will learn anything from this? Someone like O'Malley realizing if he wants to box the UFC, we'll just hold him back. Uh, I just checked again. We are still waiting for a response from noted boxing fan Dana White on this fight. I see that he posted... Four tweets on October 25th, all of them about power slap. 
Then he posted two, three tweets on October 27th, one of which was Fuck It Friday. Another one was entered a chance to win that VIP thing. And the, the last one was this guy went gambling with me and absolutely killed it. Since then, silence. We have not heard a word from area boxing fan Dana White. I kind of think if this had been someone else, he might have commented. He might have commented by now. How about if Francis Ngannou had gotten out there and gotten knocked out by the first punch Tyson Fury threw? Don't you think he would have commented then? He would have sent the smiley face emoji. Yeah, remember how he used to do that? Just a tweet mm-hmm. that was just a smiley face emoji? He would have done that. Yeah, the, he would have certainly had something to say. So that, I mean, it is interesting to wonder how this might color the perceptions of other MMA fighters. We have noted, though, in the past, Francis Ngannou did get to come along at kind of a sweet spot yeah. contractually. Yeah. For, because the loophole that allowed him to essentially get out of a UFC contract as Wilde's champion, which is something that the UFC contracts has historically tried to absolutely prevent from happening, that loophole has since been closed by changes to the UFC contract. So I don't know if anybody else is out there, if it's just a matter of them realizing that this possibility exists, it's also could they legally capitalize on it? Now, One thing that I would be curious to see how it play out is that remember when Conor McGregor was first talking about doing this with Floyd Mayweather and the UFC sort of had to be dragged kicking and screaming at the very beginning of it. One of the first things he did before any of this stuff even got moving anywhere was to apply for a professional boxing license in Nevada, I believe. Just because you could conceivably make the argument, we know MMA fighters aren't covered under the Ali Act, uh, But boxers are, and if you go get a professional boxing license and say, look, I'm a boxer, this MMA contract is preventing me from pursuing my career as a boxer, therefore shouldn't the Ali Act be what is used to address my boxing career, you could maybe force the UFC into a place it doesn't want to be as far as like defending its own contracts under that that lens. The problem is you would probably also spend years doing it. Yeah. If if the UFC really dug in their heels and battled you in court, even if you won, by the time you won, you'd probably be out of your boxing prime. Um, So I don't know how that would go. It'd be really interesting to see somebody force that issue. Uh, But as for the other guys looking around and being like, could I pull off this Francis Ngannou playbook next? I I don't know if contractually you even have the, the possibility the same way he did. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think Dana White is probably sitting in a room somewhere with green spilled keto friendly protein drink all over the front of his shirt, just mumbling to himself about how popular the power slap video game is. Just like the number one video game of all time of all video games. But we do have to acknowledge, right, the extent to which Francis Ngannou kind of took the UFC to the cleaners in this contract negotiation and frankly that the UFC fumbled the bag here. Like they could have potentially had another Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather kind of payday that they probably could have gotten a taste of if they would have been willing to do business with Francis Ngannou on this. Like I believe Francis Ngannou made a comment at one point that he just wanted one of the things he wanted in, in as part of his contractual demands was to be able to go box. I think he would have 
shared in that with the UFC, at least to some extent, if the UFC had been willing to let him go do that while still uh, remaining under contract, like kind of given him a Conor McGregor style deal. And, you know, probably once again, just like it was then, this probably would have been the UFC's biggest paycheck of the year when they didn't really have to do shit. They didn't have to do fucking shit to, to have this thing kind of fall in their lap. And honestly, I felt at the time, and I still feel a little bit like the UFC or Dana White in particular was dead set against this, at least partially because he just didn't like Francis Ngannou. He had kind of made that clear a lot earlier in Francis Ngannou's career, really before any of this stuff happened. And I think he just did not want to do it because Ngannou had been so vocal about a lot of the ways that UFC fighters are consistently mistreated. And they were just sort of came from a fuck this guy kind of place in their mind. And they they didn't want to do it. And now hindsight is easy, right? But we have seen in this, the way that everything played out, man, they fucked up. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that the UFC is probably sitting around just being like, hey, we built a giant ATM on the front lawn. Yeah. We don't need starfighters. We got plenty of other people. And they're not wrong about that. However, I think it's a pretty sweet move, and it seems like Francis Ngannou is already doing this, to sit around outside the UFC after a big boxing match like this and be like, oh, what, John Jones out of that uh, Stipe fight? Like, that's a shame. Like, uh, I'll fight one of them. One fight deal. Go ahead. Let's make it happen. Want to, want to see me? Uh, me and Stipe again, me and John Jones, whatever, put together a deal, co-promote with the PFL, like knowing that there is no danger of the UFC saying yes to that. But you could be the guy sitting out there on the outside being like, sure, I'll fight him. Send me location, give me date, I'll fight these guys. Because uh, you know the UFC is never going to do it. No, no, they won't. And frankly, as you said, they have no uh, reason to do that as long as they are still a broken ATM machine just whiffling out money for endeavor uh i mean they fucked up when they didn't make the jones fight man they could have just paid those guys their money they could have just paid them their money and we could have had that fight and probably everyone would still be sitting around being relatively happy at this point uh but they did not do that they did not do that uh also i guess i would just say anybody who has the profile and the opportunity should get themselves some actual representation Go get yourself some actual representation. And you got to hand it, I think, also to Markel Martin at CAA, who, again, took an incredible amount of abuse behind the scenes for having the balls, basically, to go up against the UFC and have Francis Ngannou wait out his deal. And now, again, hindsight is easy, but it kind of seems like every single thing they did was a bit of a masterstroke, like every single thing they did worked out to get him into this position to make a life-changing amount of money, more money than he would have made from fulfilling his entire new UFC contract. And that is assuming that he won every fight and continued to be the UFC champion at 37, 38 years old. So go get go get a real agent if you are a UFC fighter. Don't be like, nah, I'm sticking with Ali Abdelaziz. Go get yourself a real agent if you can. Say maybe don't just be like, uh, the guy who's in the pocket of the UFC and represents like 200 people. That's good enough for me. I trust he's looking out for my best interests all the time. Yeah. 
Uh, here's one we got from Dan Alexander, which kind of figures into this. He says, considering all that Francis Ngannou has had to go through in order to get to this moment, he truly made the most of the opportunity and shocked the world. That punch, which put Fury down, the look in Fury's eyes, easily my favorite single moment in combat sports. What a way to fumble the bag. Can you not, how can you not love Francis? This guy is an absolute inspiration. And I think uh, just on the heels of that, we I, again, you kind of got to marvel at the the way that he, this dude has continually bet on himself and and won. Like he's continues to do it, and he continues to be successful doing that. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things too that why the Dana White's attempt at a criticism of him uh, always just seemed like. It rang completely false. Is to paint somebody like Francis Ngannou as risk averse. That that's what's going on with the guy. He doesn't want to take these chances by fighting the best in the world here in the UFC. And it's like, here's a guy who went out there and fought on one good knee just to fulfill and get out of his UFC contract. A guy who, well before any of us ever knew who he was as an athlete was literally risking his life to try to get to Paris where he would wanted to start this new life and chase this dream. A guy who's been through all that and then, you know, continues to bet on himself in all these ways in his fighting career. There's not a single thing risk averse about that dude. That's a guy who is willing to believe in himself and take some chances to to chase the big payoff and it worked. He got it here. He got everything that he wanted out of it. How do you not feel good for a guy like that to instead try to paint him as this like he's scared? That's this guy's big problem. What? If he was scared, we'd still never have heard of Francis Ngannou. Yeah. You know? Illegally left Cameroon to immigrate to France, survived living in dangerous refugee camps lived homeless on the streets of Paris until one day he's wandering down the street and he sees a fight gym and he just walks in and he says, I would like to learn to box. And it happened to be Fernand Lopez's gym in Paris. And Lopez was basically like, can we get you anything? Do you need some (laughs) gloves? Do you need a place to stay? Hey, have you thought about MMA instead of boxing? And that guy just fought Tyson Fury. Unbelievable risk averse they say yeah uh we got this one from uh cursed diamonds on patreon uh, he's he writes who really won and lost this whole fury big fran fight big fran definitely won tyson fury took an embarrassing hit but he will still get 50 plus mil next time so he kind of won and literally won but whatever so what about dana and the ufc and the ufc's fighters the ufc and dana won as they generally do the ufc certainly has cost certainty with their fighters they refuse to give an inch on contract issues the money truck still arrives from espn every time they put on an event they break gate records everywhere regardless of quality of card at times uh they give less than a shit about how it looks from the outside because the money is the thing it's the main thing it's the only thing and the ufc keeps getting the vast majority in their own pockets and not in the fighters pockets hell they'll surely be getting zillions to put on shows in the very same venue where the boxing match took place very soon and the fighters will get a pittance as always who lost the rest of the ufc's fighters because they always lose that's how the system is set up and that's how it will continue for the foreseeable future please discourse this sad truth now we just spoke to a lot of this a minute ago but One of the things that I saw kind of floated around out there uh, over the weekend was that this was a bad look for boxing. And I guess in some ways that's true. 
But I would counter with like, this is kind of great for boxing, right? Like I would never in a million years buy a boxing pay-per-view. I would come to your house to watch one, maybe. But if you tell me that Francis Ngannou is fighting again, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, any of these guys, I'm there. That's appointment viewing for me. And I am sure that the same is true for a lot of MMA fans. And frankly, if you market it correctly, perhaps a lot of mainstream fans as well. So like, I think that this is probably a net win for boxing, at least in the short term. Yeah, it's wild to me how many of the things that are supposedly bad for boxing that directly corresponded to more people watching a boxing event and people who normally would not watch one. Like, how can all that stuff repeatedly be bad? Like the influencer boxing stuff, uh, MMA guy coming in and doing well. If you just mean that it makes it so that boxing guys don't seem quite so untouchable, doesn't that just make it so that you could do more of these kind of fights in the future and have an easier time selling us on them? Because we would not just assume that it's completely uncompetitive, that there might actually be a fight that could happen there. Like that, that helps you getting people to just get used to watching this as something in their sports media consumption diet that helps you as well. And it just gets us interested in talking about it and interested in possible future fights that you could make. I don't see how any of that could be bad just because, you know, your guy gets knocked down. You, you, you show that it's not absolutely impossible that an MMA guy could come in here and do well against boxers. It's not like people are going to be like boxing is therefore bullshit and we will all turn our backs on it. Yeah. Anything that gets new people in the door that's good for you. You can work with that. Yeah. The correct take after this is not Tyson Fury sucks, right? It's yeah. Like <laughs> he had a one, he had one night where maybe he didn't, even though he claimed that he did, maybe he didn't train as hard as he normally does. Maybe he was rusty. Maybe he just was unprepared for what he described as an awkward style from Francis Ngannou. And, and he still slipped by with the win, but I don't, you know, that doesn't undo, you know, 175 years of professional boxing history in America, right? Like boxing is still boxing. It's not, it's not, uh, un, it's not, it hasn't been exposed right here. It's, I feel yeah. like it's only, it's only probably a good thing for boxing. We, I'm sure we will continue to talk about Francis Ngannou moving forward. All of this stuff, the fallout from Tyson Fury, it would be a great time now if you wanted to, to jump on board with our Patreon. We'll be over there all week this week. I assume talking about this more and more, talking about other stuff, uh, go over to patreon.com and sign up to join the team. You can get in for as little as $1 a month. But as we turn the page here a little bit, Ben, I wanted to close maybe on this note, and this has to do with, I think the UFC probably not sweating this too much because the UFC will be out here next weekend down there in uh, Sao Paulo countering with Jailton Almeida, versus Derek Lewis in a heavyweight fight. We got this question from Cheesy P asking us, what are we to make of this weekend's UFC Sao Paulo fight night main event between Derek Lewis and Jailton Almeida? As recently as 2017, Almeida was fighting at welterweight and with USADA's blessing is now 4-0 at heavyweight with all finishes. We know that the customary Derek Lewis just standing up from the bottom position has its limits. See Daniel Cormier and Sergey Spivak but this is also now a more in shape Lewis on a new contract. Is this fight a shooting, a shoe in for Almeida to advance up the rankings and towards a title shot? Or are you giving the black beast a legitimate chance? I think that it, 
in some ways speaks to the UFC's dominance over the marketplace that Francis Ngannou has this performance and we are like, well, business as usual, headed down to Sao Paulo for a fight night with Jailton Almeida versus Derek Lewis, where the welterweight co-main is Gabriel Bonfim versus Nicholas Dalby. Yeah. I mean, as far as this actual matchup, I'm not going to look at any Derek Lewis fight and be like, this is a gimme for the other guy. Yeah. I mean, that's an easy way to end up with the doctor waking you up, asking you if you know where you are. We've seen how Derek Lewis can do. We've also seen that even sometimes if you think you got to go ground game in jiu-jitsu, he's just going to decide that that shit is not real. <laughs> You're going to take him down. He's going to lay there a minute. He's going to take a big, deep breath, and then he's going to get up and then maybe knock you out. So you got to be careful. That said, uh, what we've seen of Jelton Almeida uh, lately, that boy pretty good, Chad. Yeah, he is. He is. It does seem like maybe the UFC's thought is, like, for one thing, we're going down there to Sao Paulo to do this one. Like, maybe we're thinking, like, okay, uh, Jailton Almeida will come in here with a a friendly crowd behind him, one that would really like to see him win. And if you go in there and you beat a guy like Derek Lewis, a guy who has a name, then you get thrown in that heavyweight sweepstakes, which is starting to look pretty good. Like I said, patreon.com slash co-main event. That's where we will be for the rest of the week. Wednesday, we'll have the live chat. Thursday, we'll have doing the damn thing. Friday, we'll have the power hour. Come join us. We have a lot of fun. For everybody else, we will talk to you next week with another edition of The Proper. As for right now, thanks for listening, everybody. We are done. We are through. We are out. I did not know that Jailton Almeida was a welterweight. Is that true? Is that even true? I gotta look this up. I guess, yeah. I guess uh, 2012, he made his welterweight debut, it says. He fought at middleweight, then he fought at heavyweight, then he fought at light Just skip right over light. Well, no, it came back for light. Yeah. yeah. Circle back. Circle back for it. And he went back up to heavyweight where he has been for, I guess, the majority of the year. It's like he started Won the Thunder Fight Light Heavyweight Championship. Now, I bet you got laid that night when you you know what? I just won the Thunder Fight Championship. Yeah, and you're walking around with fake the, as hell with the Thunder Fight belt thrown over your shoulder. Yeah, you're not going to bed alone.